Thank you for tuning in to Voice Epilepsy Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Davidson. On Voice Epilepsy Podcast, we will discuss health and wellness, education, employment, lived experience, and all things epilepsy. Tonight, we will talk about all things epilepsy in the U.S. This podcast is a little bit longer than our others. It'll last about an hour. We're proud to have Chuck Harmon join us from the Epilepsy Association. Chuck has been the Executive Director of the Epilepsy Association since 1994 and only the second leader in the agency's 59-year history. Selected by the Southeast Association Magazine as one of the four most influential executives in the United States, he has served as a board member of the Florida Society of Association Executives, as well as the former Epilepsy Foundation of Florida and the Florida Epilepsy Services Providers Association. Chuck's long history in epilepsy has now made him the longest serving epilepsy executive director in the state of Florida. In addition to managing the day-to-day operations of the Epilepsy Association, his experience and knowledge has certified him as an expert witness where he has testified in numerous high profile cases involving epilepsy. Personally, he has conducted hundreds of presentations, seminars, and training programs on all aspects of epilepsy, as well as becoming one of the nation's leaders in the education and prevention of shaken baby impact syndrome. He is also the founder of epilepsyu.com, an online epilepsy news and education site that now reaches an average of 3.8 million people every month. You heard me right, 3.8 million people every month, and that is in over 150 countries. He has also founded the Epilepsy Association's social enterprise, epilepsystore.com, an epilepsy online store that raises awareness, selling products where 100% of the proceeds support the programs of the association. Prior to coming to Epilepsy Association as a former business owner and community leader, Chuck has served Central Florida as an active volunteer in many capacities, including an appointed member of the White House Commission for the Disabled. He's also been an appointed chair of the Wayfarer. He's also been an appointed chair of the Central Florida Manpower Planning Council for the Employment of the Disadvantaged. And an appointed board member of the Orlando International Airport Design Committee to represent Handicap, just to mention a few. Welcome, Chuck. It's such a great privilege to call you a friend to the BC Epilepsy Society and a wonderful colleague uh, of mine. Thank you for joining us today. All right, Chuck, can you tell me how you got involved with the epilepsy community? Wow, Kim, it's always great to be with you, but that's kind of a long story. I'm going to cut it as short as possible for you. Um, I had sold my businesses and took about a year and a half, two years off and ran away on a boat I had and was with my best girlfriend, uh, beautiful brown eyes, brunette, her little tail wagged at everything I said and her four paws would run down the beach with me and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I uh, came out of another meeting of board of directors I was on, and they said, what are you going to do now, Chuck? And I said, well, I tell you, I'm not getting on an airplane for two years, personal commitment. I'm tired of traveling. And they said, hey, can you help us out? Um, we're retiring the founder of the Epilepsy Association of Central Florida. And while we're looking for an executive, will you help us out? And I told him, you know, years ago, um, I was given a temporary assignment when I was an IBM person uh, to go and run a small children's hospital because their executive had cancer. And during their search, and I said, you know, it was the happiest time of my life. And uh, I said, yeah, I'll give it a shot. I'll give you four months. And the four months have now turned into 26 years. And, and what kinds of programs and services have you grown within the Epilepsy Association, Chuck? Well, we're based here in Orlando, Florida, and Florida is a little bit unique, even in the United States of America. Uh, we were able to go to our state legislature a number of years ago and get them to understand epilepsy. It was not an easy battle. And we received some funding from our Florida State Legislature to fund something called the Epilepsy Services Program. So we provide what we call case management or care coordination. Um, 
and medical care for those that are uninsured here or economically disadvantaged that do not have access to medical care. So on that side of the house, we kind of function as a specialty clinic. We physically have a clinic. In my other locale over on the coast, um, we're more like an insurance company in a way that we have doctors that work with us and we send our patients to those doctors as well. So each new person that comes into our program is assigned a care coordinator that we call, and they look at their whole quality of life, not just the medical care. So, you know, if they need housing, if they need transportation assistance, if they need social support, you know, we coordinate all those services for them as well. So that's one aspect, um, you know, of our program. Then we were also able to create a trust fund and uh, that funds full-time epilepsy health educators around the state of Florida. Uh, they're out in the community. They'll go into schools. They'll go to employers. They'll go to high-risk facilities, um, might be spouse abuse facility or an alcohol rehab facility. And we'll talk about epilepsy and acquired forms and the prevention of it. So our education program is another part of the services that we provide here. We often hear about um, you know, the, the discrepancies between insured and uninsured um, folks in America uh, and, and some of those challenges. So you basically are filling a gap where there's uninsured people living with epilepsy. You have these clinics where you are, um, you are paying doctors. So you must have quite the budget then in terms of you know, hiring all of these people and providing all of these services that is legislated and, and coming from, I guess, is it state funding then? So every county, you know, in the state of Florida, will, if a person's there, can receive services. The state also has another program called the Sovereign Immunity Volunteer Healthcare Program. And what it does is we have some physicians that totally volunteer free in our program and they sign up under the state volunteer health program. I've got one right now, an epileptologist that she wants to volunteer for us. And that way they are protected from lawsuit under the Sovereign Immunity Act by volunteering. So when a patient comes to us, they are notified of that. They receive a little piece of paper and they know this physician's volunteering and if something happened, the physician's not sued. You know, they're not held responsible for it and we're not held responsible. Then we have other neurologists. Uh, we provide MRIs, um, lab services. Those companies work with us at deep discounts. So, you know, a lot of times we, we're out there seeking grant funds and doing fundraisers and walks and everything else, just like all, all nonprofits. But just here, and I would say this in Central Florida, just in four counties right around Orlando, our impact, we our goal is to keep people out of the area emergency room, giving them a medical home to go to for epilepsy. Here we save our emergency rooms about $5.8 million a year in needless visits. And that physically can be tracked. You know, we, we track it in a database that we have for our clients. We ask them how many times did you go to the emergency room prior to come, coming to see us in the previous six months? And then we keep tracking that. And then the state of Florida has an agency called Agency of Healthcare Administration. And every hospital around the state reports their costs for each kind of services, whether it's a, a cancer, a broken arm, or an epilepsy, an MRI, an EEG, just to go to the emergency room, or if they're admitted. So we can overlay the reduction in emergency room visits when someone comes to our program and look at the actual cost savings we're providing the taxpayers here in Central Florida and the state of Florida. And it is a huge, huge impact. And for every dollar that the state gives us, we're giving them about $9 back in our fundraising impact on the community. So it's been a real good public-private partnership for a long time. And even at one time, our Federal Centers for Disease Control a few years back called us the absolute best model for epilepsy treatment, you know, in the United States. 
It's just fantastic. You know, Chuck, I, I went down and uh, to Florida and uh, I popped by your office. You weren't there unannounced. And um, I had heard uh, of your organization, Epilepsy U and the Epilepsy Store, and uh, uh, wanted to meet you. And um, and uh, and when I, I did that, uh, you were, of course, not there and and you were gracious and and uh, you accommodated you accommodated me while I was in town and and sat with me for three hours and talked to me about all of the things that were happening uh, in Florida and internationally, what your international reach was. I was um, in awe of all of the things you inspired me beyond belief. I was new to my position uh, within epilepsy up in uh, Vancouver, of course, and the I'm a Voice for Epilepsy Awareness uh, campaign was in its infancy, uh, and I am so grateful that you're talking to me today. Uh, the people here um, that are listening to this in, in Canada and beyond are going to be, I think, just um, um, overly um, enthusiastic and inspired also. I would like to talk a little bit about... Um, what has been happening in Florida? Because we have a lot of snowbirds that are going down from Canada, um, it, going down to your neck of the woods. We have some deficiencies in terms of our wait lists for EEGs and, and things like that. Uh, we, um, we tout that we have, you know, this awesome universal healthcare system and such, and, and there's deficiencies with it. And, and there's um, some uh, pretty, uh, in terms of the adult um, epilepsy programs here within British Columbia, but also across the country. Um, and so uh, we talked a little bit about the EEG program uh, that you have. And so can you talk a little bit about that? What, what is happening and what is your experience around Canadians that are down in Florida when they're uh, vacationing? It's interesting you bring that up, Kim, because yesterday I had a phone call it happened to be from someone from Canada coming down. And we do here in Florida get an awful lot of Canadians that come down for our nice weather. And even if you go around Daytona Beach and over on the coast, a lot of the, the communities, you're going to see Canadian flags fly more than you're going to see United States flags. And we love them. We love them. But the phone call was, is how do I get some help for my child when I come down? And we've been on a wait list. And, and I do get phone calls from other countries, too. It's not just Canada. I get them from England. I get them from South America. I've got a lady from Brazil wanting to come up here right now to be seen at one of the clinics. Um, it, and as I said, I go back. I've been doing this now 26 years. And we did a Zoom cast with a pediatric epilepsy, epilepsy specialist uh, this week on children. And it's amazing how much has happened in 26 years in epilepsy. But I go back and look at our community. When I came into my position and when the Vegas nurse stimulator came out, I had one of the reps come in and said, what's wrong with Orlando? I said, what do you mean? She said, we've implanted them in Tampa and Miami, but nothing in Orlando. And I said, believe it or not, we don't have too many epilepsy specialists that I can even think of here. And that was 26 years ago. And now I look at it, we have two major epilepsy centers at both our major hospitals here that are comprehensive centers with a team of not just an epileptologist, they might have eight or 10 of them, then they're going to have neuropsychologists on their team to do their evaluations, they have research people on their team, they have therapists on their team, then they have the surgeons they brought in on their team. And we were just talking on that little Zoom. They just did a, a Rosa robotic surgery implant at one of our other hospitals programs. Well, and they've been doing it the other for years. Um, we wrote a grant. I had to think a little out of the box. I was paying for EEGs and it was getting really expensive. So I said, you know what? I'm going to write a grant and buy my own EEG equipment. So we did. So we have the standard EEG where a patient comes into our clinic and we hook them up. And then a year later, I found some funds and wrote a grant from the ambulatory equipment that we can take into a home. We can do long-term EEGs with video as well. So we do our own. Um, but I think one of the biggest differences that we see from other countries in here is long-term monitoring and genetic testing for epilepsy, which is advanced epilepsy diagnostics and treatment so, so far. So almost any person that has epilepsy they should have a long-term EEG. And 
The same thing, we have a company now that provides for free genetic testing. You don't have to pay five, ten thousand dollars like you did years ago. You can have free genetic testing. Um, we used to say 60, 63% of the people diagnosed with epilepsy are idiopathic. Well, I just learned that this year. They don't even use that term hardly anymore because, because of the genetic testing, they can pinpoint most of those people back to a specific gene to say that's the cause of your epilepsies now. So it's advanced that far. It's advanced that far. And I remember here in Central Florida when people needed a PET scan uh, or they needed a long-term EZ, I had to send them as far away as Atlanta or University of Alabama, Birmingham. Now here in Central Florida, I've lost count of how many long-term beds we have. I, I'd say, again, just in the three or four counties around here, somewhere between 35 to 50 long-term epilepsy designated beds, not shared beds for sleep disorder, strictly for epilepsy long-term EEG monitoring. Wow. Wow. That's, that's just so impressive. You know, we have a, 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 a population, um, well, the adult population is roughly about, about 28,000 in BC. We have 50,000 living with epilepsy in the province, but uh, pediatric population inclusive. And, and, uh, but within that adult population of about 28,000, we only have four beds. Mm -mm. It's a shame. I mean, I would say our Central Florida area's population, we have really boomed in, in Florida. And we already have, we have two comprehensive epilepsy centers, like I said. Uh, then you go over to Tampa, there's two over there. Miami's got several. Jacksonville's got several. So in the Florida, I think right now, there might be eight or nine major comprehensive epilepsy centers to go to just in this state. Yeah. Uh, like the VNS progressions of the different models. I think RNS, yeah. even deep brain stimulation. We don't have RNS is not approved in Canada yet. It's, ama it's amazing. I mean, I, I've worked with and done um, some Zoom webinars uh, with a forensic uh, epilepsy surgeon. And she came to Orlando from Denver, Colorado. And she was doing RNS there. So she came here to Orlando Health Arnold Palmer too. And uh, I learned a lot more of RNS from her, but you know, VNS works for some people. It doesn't work for people. RNS works for some people and doesn't work for people. And and forms there's even newer forms of deep brain stimulation. Um, I think when it comes to surgical techniques, I mean, the United States is doing an incredible job on that. From uh, like I said, robotic assisted surgeries to even implant VNS now versus the surgeries. Um, they even laser abrasion surgery, gamma knife surgeries, all the different surgeries. I think those might be approved a little bit faster in the United States than medications. Medications here sometimes take a long time. But it's so nice today when I got started, you could count the medications on one hand that was available for epilepsy. Now I've lost count when people see how many, I don't know, 40, 50, and, and other therapies like we're talking about. That are options for people. And right. surgeries progressed so far. It's not the huge, huge impact that it was, you know, 25 years ago. Right. I, I really I like the idea uh, in terms of the way that um, that the American uh, epilepsy centers are uh, are rated uh, like these tiers, mm -hmm. tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four. Um, and um, so that they're kind of like a full service. You have a full, full complement um, of staffing, of support. So you're going to have neuropsychologists, you're going to have neuropsychiatrists, you're going to have pharmacists, you're going to have epilepsy nurses, ep uh, you're going to have your epileptologists, your surgeons, you're going to have a comprehensive team there to take care of you. Do you know that um, in, in our province, we don't have a neuropsychiatrist attached to us. We don't have a pharmacist attached to our program. Um, we only have a 0.5 uh, neuropsychologist. My surgeon is only a 0.4 um, in adult epilepsy. It mm -hmm. is um, in the U.S., when I took a look at your tiers, I believe we would probably be a tier two. Uh, like I said, when I started, we didn't have anything in Central Florida. Yeah. I literally went to, we have two major hospitals in Central Florida, and I went to both of them. 
and sit down to the directors of neuroscience and beg them and beg them that you need to do something. I'm sending people, as I said, 750 miles away. And I went through, I don't know how many directors in neuroscience over the years. And to be honest, Kim, one of them, how we got a center to really go there, a lady who was the director of the women's hospital married a gentleman that had a child in about 20 years old, had epilepsy. And it got so severe, she said, oh my gosh, they had to take him to New York for treatment. And then she came back and she sat down with this major hospital chain and said, we got to do something. And they did. They built an incredible top-notch epilepsy program. And we do rate them by the level of what they can do and the level of the teams and the credentials of the people on the team. Um, we just did a Zoom with a neuropsychologist again the other day. I and mean, we have several of them right here in our own community and people didn't understand the roles of what a neuropsychologist does for a person for epilepsy or if they're doing a surgical workup or a treatment protocol. And I have sat in on many of these meetings where they've invited me to come and sit in with their team when they're, when they're talking about a specific patient. And you might have seven, eight people in the room. And they're looking at the patient's records and the test and saying, what's the best options for this person? How do we go here? What does the neuro, neuro testing say to this person? Okay, is it a surgical candidate or a non-surgical candidate? Um, it is amazing that you have that ability now that you have all these specialists in a room discussing that patient and what's the best for that patient. Yes, absolutely. And and we do have that um, in other provinces and and I do want to say that of our skeletal team that we have here, they are the most impressive credentialized doctors that are just so under-resourced. Um, they, just, they just need to be better resourced and have everything that, and they deserve to have everything um, that Alberta, the Alberta clinics have and the Ontario clinics have. Um, I agree. I mean, yeah. You know, I talking and comparing where you are to where I was here in Central Florida. You know, we had epileptologists hired by the hospital, but the hospital didn't have the team or the equipment they needed to function. So they tried for two years to get something and politics got in the way. Boom, they left and go to another state. They said, I can't practice my specialty to the level I need to, so I'm leaving. I, I can't begin to tell you how many we lost and frustrated the heck out of me. <laughs> Find this if someone's in town, a specialist, we could do something. Boom, they leave. And it's a shame sometimes it's politics, it's money, um, it's getting to an executive at a hospital to let them know how many people here have epilepsy. Well, and I think that that's what you did too, is when you when you took a look at at the economic breakdown, let's talk about the economic impact. We're we're saving you five point eight million dollars a year by having providing our services and that's what you're doing as the epilepsy association people aren't going to the uh, hospital emergency rooms and and so you've got to show them how you're saving them money always because they won't they won't listen necessarily to to the stories of or the human suffering but but when it comes down to the pocketbook and what this is costing us as taxpayers all of a sudden people are listening it's not the human suffering story it, it'll come down to that so um, as in government and uh, policymakers, um, that is uh, that's a really important uh, piece of information to always be communicating quite effectively. Absolutely, Kim. I agree with that 100 percent. You know, if I'm asking somebody to invest in my program, whether it's the state funds of a taxpayer or a private individual, a private foundation, what is the return? What is return? I mean, what do I give you for a dollar? We give you nine back. Um, yeah, I'm giving people that opportunity. We, we did a study uh, with the University of South Florida in Tampa a few years back and the School of Social Work. And they sent surveys out to people that have epilepsy to not just our patients, but patients. But you know, here we have federally funded health care, too, I guess you'd say, for some. Uh, Medicaid for the poor, Medicare for the old. Then we have our private insurance. And then we had our program. And some of the questions they asked me that really stood out, they asked somebody, if you have a seizure, what are you going to do? All of them said, I'll run to the emergency room, except our patient. They said, I'll wait and I'll call my case manager. You know, so there you save here and the average cost of going to an emergency room just for something like that's about $1,900. Mm -hmm. 
than if they ran an MRI, if they ran other studies, then you're getting the cost way up as well. So to be able to share those stories with the people that support the epilepsy program and say, this is the impact. And if I, if I reduce their seizures, which we do in the first year of our program, uh, the average was about 11.1 seizures a year. After the first year, we get them down to about 2.1. So then you look at the impact and saying, okay, I can keep somebody in school. I can keep somebody in the workforce. I can keep families together. Hopefully, and we know there's a high incidence of suicide, I thought of reduced the suicide rate as well. You know, so giving them someone to talk to, which there are our social workers, we call them, as I say, care coordinators, because they are, they care about these people, and they're coordinating all of their care, not just the medical. And when you give them somewhere to call, and they know we care about them, their life changes, their quality of life changes completely. Well, it's the truth, and I think that's that's something that just cannot be um, emphasized enough. And epilepsy is not just seizures. Uh, the mental health, the depression, anxiety associated with this disease, and the risk of of suicide is great. Um, and and so having somebody who's available uh, to talk that through um, is a lifeline. Uh, and I, I, I'm so grateful that you just mentioned that. And it is, Kim, when I started out, uh, I went and received funding uh, from private sources and we found a full-time psychologist on our staff. And, you know, I was still learning a lot too. And the community, the medical community didn't know at the time. I'm thinking, okay, and I need this therapist because if I'm newly diagnosed with epilepsy and I'm going through all the things we're talking about, I'm going to be depressed. You know, I need to have somebody there. Now we know that the chemistry of the brain, the depression and the epilepsy can go together many, many times. You know, one may, they're going to be comorbid with the other. One may be the first diagnosis and then there's a second diagnosis. So, I mean, even we, we mentioned even the VNS stimulator when the first model came out, okay, it's going to be great for epilepsy and control and seizures and people that the medicines weren't working for. And after a few years, they found out everybody's moods were changing. So here in the United States, they go, wait, we got to do some studies on this one. And that was one of the first studies that said, holy moly, it affects the chemistry, the well of the brain. These people aren't as depressed anymore. And then they went and sought our FDA, Federal Drug Administration's approval, to use VNS for mental health depression therapy. I mean, we didn't even have any idea that the two were related years ago. And now we do. Now we do. And we know our physicians that, that, treat both at the same time yeah. right yeah and now and now it, vns is being used solely for for clinical depression right what a Absolutely. great side effect that was right what Absolutely. a great they had no idea when they created that <laughs> yeah. it, it, that is um that was something really wonderful that came out of that of that technology um that that technology is saving lives not just for the epilepsy community but now for those that really had uh, have been struggling with uh, clinical depression. Uh, you know, Chuck, can you share with uh, with our listeners a little bit about Florida and the driver's license um, uh, legislation? I guess, was it from the 50s? Was no, we, uh, about the time I got started, um, one of our founders, who's an attorney here in Florida, had an adult daughter now with epilepsy, was sitting down with a professor, doctor of pharmacology, you said pharmacy is important, at the University of Central Florida. And they were talking about the need for education of epilepsy, break down the myths and stigmas, you know, start changing how people think about epilepsy. And also people don't know there are acquired forms of epilepsy that you can get from head trauma and head injury. So literally came on the back of the napkin, they wrote out a plan and here in Florida in legislation, um, you can attach surcharges to certain violations and that surcharge money can go to designated cost. So they wrote this little thing on the back of the napkin and, and they took it some key legislators and said head injury at that time is a leading cause of epilepsy. And they were passing legislation for seatbelts, a mandatory seatbelt law. And they said, we would like to have a little surcharge on that and that money go into a trust fund to fund our education program. And that's how I got started. So 
in the beginning, it was a huge trust fund, but now people wear seatbelts a lot more, so it's dropped off some. But that was $5 for every seatbelt ticket written in the state of Florida went into a trust fund with the state specifically designated to the nonprofit epilepsy providers like us to hire those full-time ed educators and do an education program. And, oh, God, my, I, time goes by so fast. About 10 years ago, uh, there was some money that hadn't been allocated from that trust fund. And I went to my counterparts and says, it's time to use technology for education. And I tried for years to get them on board with me, and they just didn't see it. So I said, well, maybe I'm going to make a few people mad, but I'm going to ask for that additional money and a special grant. And we got it. And my goal was to create an online education model program, and mainly for rural counties in Florida where my educators don't get into the rural counties and the people don't get the support and they don't get the education. But also in the back of the mind, I know the internet doesn't stop at a state line. <laughs> so we created a hired full-time person in the office, a webmaster, and we created something called Epilepsy U, which is a play on words, you as a person and you as a university, that we share epilepsy news from all over the world. Um, we have an ability for networking and support, um, and it's grown way beyond what I ever thought it would, Kim. I mean, I, like I said, I started for rural counties in Florida, but right now our average monthly visitation is about 3.8 million people a month in over 150 countries worldwide. And I strongly believe that education comes first and foremost before anything else. If we can't tell people what this disease is and what it is not, help break down the myths and the stigmas, life isn't going to change for us that are affected by epilepsy. That's exactly it. Epilepsy knows no borders. And, and you have pioneered the way with Epilepsy U. And, and that has been incredibly inspirational, Chuck. And wasn't it, uh, wasn't it amazing that that money was sitting there, that you were thinking outside the box, another way of, 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 of using it to, to reach beyond you know, the urban area, and, and then all of a sudden, 3.8 million, uh, you know, your impact, 3.8 million a month. We're not talking annually. We're talking a month. <laughs> Those numbers. I mean, it is, um, it's phenomenal. It's, uh, it's yeah. quite the legacy you are building. I remember, some people came to me when other organizations years later starting to do it. Organizations much bigger than me. And they said, are you upset about it? I said, no. My gosh, I'm glad they're using it. I don't care if they're bigger, they have bigger numbers or less numbers. It's still spreading the word on epilepsy. You know, yes. And, and you know, I had one of them fly down and talk to me and said, well, let's partner and work together on it and everything else. And I knew what they were doing. And they went back and they developed the same thing. Well, fine. I don't care. If you're going to reach people and I'm going to reach people, this is our goal. This is our goal. Let's do it. Let's do right. it. It, it is because people will find um, stuff on yours. They'll find something on other people's. Absolutely. And you know what? Our, 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 people, um, our people are deserving to have a ton of information, a ton of resources. Um, and, and so the, the stuff that you, you're posting and that you provide um, is going to be unique and special. And, and somebody else will have something else that they're, I don't think there should be a censorship to, to information or who holds whatever information. I, I'm so appreciative of the fact that you're so open um, and that and that you're so collaborative, Chuck. Well, thank you, Kim. And I think it's important all of us in the epilepsy arena should be, and I hate that word should. Um, we're in it for the people affected by epilepsy. We shouldn't be in it for my entity, okay? You know, my entity has boundaries. Other people do things better than me. I might do some things better than others, but let's collaborate together and get it done for people affected by epilepsy. I mean, that should be our goal worldwide. And, and we need to put that first and foremost in our minds and remember that, remember that. And I'm looking honestly at a transition to look at retiring soon and you know, I'm getting up there in, in years, and my board goes, oh, my gosh, you're kind of scared and skittish, you know, and I said, wait a minute, you know, it took 26 years to develop what I am now. You're going to find somebody else, and they're going to develop too, but the main thing they have to have is what we're talking about, Kim. 
they have to remember what their purpose is here. And, and don't just say, okay, my borders stop at the Florida line or my borders stop at the border of the United States. I'm not working with England or I'm not working with Canada or I'm not working with Puerto Rico. I had a referral for a patient from Puerto Rico yesterday from a mother in Puerto Rico that has a child that lives here. Well, am I going to tell the lady in Puerto Rico down there that runs an epilepsy group, sorry, I don't work with you? No, I mean, it's just, it's just common sense. It's common sense. And I'm really happy to say even Epilepsy U has grown beyond my expectations that I'm working with the team now creating, uh, I, I don't want to use the word an app because it's not a phone app. It is a new community concept uh, that we can take Epilepsy U even beyond where it is right now to build a community with sub-communities in there. So a community affected with VNS or a community uh, that wants to know more about SUDA or a community with Dravet syndrome, Malenix, Gastel, have an ability to communicate within a major community with sub-communities. So hopefully we'll have that thing rolled out in the next few months. That's amazing. I, 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 th that's uh, another piece uh, too. We have a uh, an app that is coming out of BC Children's Hospital um, through uh, a researcher there. Um, it'll be launched within probably the next, next, next three months or so. So we have a professional advisory committee um, that has several doctors, researchers, epileptologists, and uh, we have a, a neuropsychologist on that uh, committee. Amazing. But I, I think that, you know, those that kind of technology and where we can bring people together in in those in in apps and and things like that chuck that's really exciting stuff um i think that it's really exciting also around mindset you know i i lived with epilepsy i i have skin in the game i i had epilepsy as a child until i was an adolescent and and this is not about us um this is about something much bigger and and put all the egos aside and what i would say to um to anybody that is hiring an executive director or a ceo it's not necessarily about hiring the fundraiser. It's about hiring somebody who is an innovative thinker. Um, it's about hiring somebody who um, is fearless um, in leading and putting the time in and doing the work um, and somebody who is going to build partnerships. Um, so agreed, Kim, so yeah. agreed. And my board yeah. and I have had committee meetings and discussions on this possible transition in a year or so. And, and that's some of the things that I absolutely come out. And we're very fortunate. We have a college here, a private college here in Central Florida. It's been here for many, many, many years. And uh, one of our foundations have funded a philanthropy school there. And I have sent some of my board members over there to take the course in transitioning executive directors. And they come back shocked because it's not what they think it is. And it, you have to have, as you said, you have to have a passion. You have to have a desire. You said innovation, which I love that word. I kind of say entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, yeah. If you if you don't take ownership of it, and like you said, you're not fearless to take chances and gamble and go out there and have the guts to do it, an advocate in this or an executive director will not be successful. You have no. to have hustle. You have to have hustle. No. Um, and and I and that is um, I think that's the big difference between the organi organization that stays status quo. Here's the deal, Chuck. You and I are paid the same whether or not we sit at a desk and just have status quo and and just maintain. I, I get paid the same whether I maintain or not, right? Yes. And um, uh, and and then and then there's what we do. Kim, I am the longest. I'm not going to say I'm bragging here at all because it's not that. It's just a fact. There was the founder of our organization who was a mom in her kitchen. And when she was getting older, that's when the board said, Chuck, will you help us for a few months till we hire somebody? I'm the only, I'm the second executive director in about a 58-year history of our organization, which is an absolute rarity in the nonprofit world. And I have seen executive directors come and go. And as you just said, that if we have any advocates listening or any other executive directors, you are touching on such an important point that I did a podcast last week with a gentleman on leadership in the nonprofit sector. And we were touching on this. And, and the big one is, is right there. Do I sit there and maintain and get my paycheck? And then they leave in a couple of years and they're gone. And then there are those like you that have bought into this mission. And this is what it's about. And it's part of your life. You know, and, and it's not a nine to fiver. 
it's not a nine to five or by any means. And when I've had many executives and other walks of life come to me about my transition from the business world because I was a business owner for a long, long time. And how'd you get into the nonprofit? I want to. And I said, no, you don't. Let me talk to you first and then say you want to. That's <laughs> a different world. It's a different world altogether. Yeah, yeah. I also think it's quite interesting, too, that when you're talking about the nonprofit world um, and you say that, oh, I'm, I, I work in an NGO and, and somebody will say to you or condescend and say, oh, it's so sweet that you're giving back. Yes, you were established for the love and care of others, but you better run it like a business or you're not going to be around. Right. And you yes. have to be the visionary like you are, Kim, to think forward, you know. And that's where I'm talking to my board right now. Not only they may be transitioned old guy like me to somebody new, I'm saying, what's your transition of the agency? What's the new vision for the agency? You want a visionary there. You don't want a replacement for me. You want somebody new. You know, get a visionary like you, Kim. I mean, you ready to move to Florida, Kim? <laughs> I love you know? Vancouver. It's one of the prettiest <laughs> cities in the world, but Florida's nice too, Kim. <laughs> Listen, I could. I don't know if I'd ever ever fill your shoes. Those are. That's the, <laughs> no, you I, could do. This this also follows suit with collaboration, relationships. Incredibly important. You know this in business. You know this as 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 a leader of um, of the, of your epilepsy organization and growing it to the extent you you have. You know this in in terms of your college football affiliations down there in Florida, and um, and also your engagements with the Anita Kaufman Foundation uh, and such. You have the epilepsy store, and. When I was in Florida and I met with you and I said, you know, I'm looking at doing some merchandise stuff. I'm not sure. And, and there was an offer like, listen, we can, we can, you can tap into our stuff at the epilepsy store. We can discount it for you guys up there in Canada so that you can sell it and still make a little bit of a profit. Or I can give you my contacts in China and you guys can do your own orders. Like Chuck, that was just so gracious and, and I, I don't think that happens. I, actually, I can say that doesn't happen uh, very often in my experience within the NGO world is that that kind of sharing of resources and information, I think that there's often a scarcity, uh, competitiveness, a territorialness. And, and I think that you, you role model that so beautifully. And I, I just want listeners to hear um, me say this out loud and say thank you to you for that and and, and maybe ask for you just to comment on that. Yeah, thank you, Kim. I mean, I appreciate that. And I think part of it goes back to what we just said. You know, if you're in the nonprofit world, you, you better be a caring, sharing person. That's the first. And then that mission is, is also there. You know, what is my mission? And if I can help somebody else that has the same mission, why not? Why not? Um, I know there's a fear in the nonprofit community that we're all fighting for a dollar for our mission. And everybody thinks there's only so much of that dollar that can go somewhere, whether it's a Canadian dollar or a U.S. dollar. There's only so much of it. There's plenty of it out there for everybody. We haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg. Epilepsy is hard to raise money for. I'm going to admit that. I've raised millions of dollars for a lot of other causes as well. And in the nonprofit environment, it's so sad that people are protective and, and they don't want to share because if I give you a little of my knowledge, maybe you're going to do better than me and take a little bit of my dollar. And that's the wrong attitude. You know, collaborations are the way you should go. And I don't know what's happening in Canada, but I can tell you foundations in the United States that are funding people like us. That has been one of their goals for the last five years is to look for collaborative efforts. What are you doing collaborating with others in your community? Now, we're unique. I'm the only epilepsy organization here. But there are organizations that I do collaborate with. There are other primary clinics that do care, primary care like we do. We collaborate with them all the time. There's an organization in Florida I collaborate with. It's called Florida Association of Free and Charitable Clinics. You said the Anita Kaufman Foundation. That's Purple Day. 
in the United States and internationally. And I know you have a guest coming up, Cassidy, Cassidy Megan, the founder, one of my sweethearts. Um, we've been doing Purple Day in Florida since the day Cassidy started up there in Nova Scotia. And we were doing little teas and events and it grew and it grew and it grew and we grew with her. And uh, Debbie, who's the director of Anita Kaufman Foundation, saw me post a picture. And this is how collaborations start. I happen to be at Disney World here. And the castle changes colors and it went purple. I took a picture, personal picture, and I posted it on Epilepsy U and our social media. And the thing got millions of views. And Debbie, who I knew through just doing purple little events, she contacted me. And she said, can I share the picture too? And I did. And the thing got millions of views. And Debbie's been doing awareness activities in like Mall of America and Minneapolis and first aid trainings. And she goes, I want to do something at Disney World. Uh, Debbie, it's a little different. Disney World's not Disneyland. It's the world. And it's a huge structure. And I said, however, a buddy of mine, as you said, through sports, um, through our football bowl game here at Committee, I knew, is retired now, but he was the head of Disney World Parks. And I contacted him and said, how can I make an event happen? And, and Kim, I'll be honest, you just said it. You better have the perseverance. It took nine months of going to legal teams, to legal teams, to legal teams. It's easy to rent a room and hold an event, but we want to do so much more. So that ball, everybody calls it Epcot World, we wanted to turn that thing purple. They won't change the colors on the castle for Cinderella, for even Cinderella. <laughs> so we were able to do that. And that was Debbie's and mine's first big collaboration. And it has grown um, this year because of COVID. We did an international online conference for several days, uh, multiple sponsors, uh, a lot of people attended, but we're taking our sessions like this podcast, breaking them out. They're up online now for a year. Um, Debbie said, hey, I want to sell some T-shirts or something. I said, Debbie, it's so hard, but I established a social enterprise. Let's establish some products for you. You know, I'll handle all of that and we'll send you a referral fee or whatever you want to call it, commissions of everything we sell. I'm happy to help you because... You know, if you put it on your website and you put it on your newsletter and email blast, you're sending people to store. It's helping people learn about epilepsystore.com. It's a perfect collaboration. What am I giving away to her? I mean, we're both helping each other. So she's making money for her program and I'm making money for my program. You know, and it all came out of another collaboration of an organization that I, that I go to. Um, had a guy speaking on social enterprise. Oh, wow. Never thought about that. Why can't a charity have an enterprise that supports the charity? And I wrote a little grant and was able to hire that guy and his partner, a couple of consultants, and we worked with my board and my staff. And what came out of that was amazing because the first time the board and the staff really got to collaborate on something new and exciting. And it brought so much energy to our organization that way. But then we came out with the concept epilepsy store, um, shop purple for a purpose. Um, we sell epilepsy awareness merchandise, everything from jewelry, like I said, to coffee cups, to mugs, to T-shirts for Debbie. Um, and it helps raise money that funds the programs we talked about earlier. Right. And, and raise awareness. And, and anytime somebody is sporting clothing or, or the mug, the store has a lot of things for people uh, for people to purchase. And what I find is that family members um, want to be buying this stuff and acknowledge that they support epilepsy. And there's not a lot of places to buy this stuff, this merchandise. No, not, Kim. When we started out, we looked around and there wasn't. There yeah. wasn't anywhere. There was something similar that the epilepsy organization in Australia was doing. Nothing in the United States. We, we ship internationally. It's expensive to ship internationally, and it amazes me. We, we have people in Germany and Sweden that might buy $30 of merchandise and pay $65 to ship it to them. They want it so bad. Um, right. But when we went in, we say it's a social enterprise. We went into it. It had to fit our mission. And, and you said that. It brings awareness to epilepsy. And part of our goal is to break down, as I said, the myths and stigmas surrounding epilepsy, bring awareness to it. The more awareness we get, the easier it is to get the funding we need from sources to fund programs like yours or fund programs like ours. So it tied directly into the mission. Um, we have a, a lot of other partners beyond Purple Day that have come to us with different products and stuff and said, sure, I'll add them to the store. 
Yeah, yeah. Store and whatever sales is yours, you know, we'll send them directly to you. I don't want to put it in my inventory. It's your inventory, but they buy it through us. We send you the link. And so, you know, my goal is epilepsy. My goal is not just Epilepsy Association here in Florida. My goal is epilepsy. Wow. You're just, um, yeah, since the moment I met you, I've, I've considered you a mentor and I, I hold you in such high regard. What are your hopes and dreams, you know, as um, at, at the end of the day, what kind of legacies are, are you looking to leave um, at the end of your career? You know, if I put it in a nutshell, Kim, hopefully somebody says he changed my life. Yeah. He made a little impact. You know, I'm tearing up because when you're looking at such a long career and you make that tough decision to say it's time to step away, you're leaving part of yourself. And the organization that I helped create is not about me. It's about people with epilepsy. And the sad thing is, as I said, I've seen other directors come in to my counterparts around the country and they're gone in a year or two because it was like you said, it's a job. I walk in at nine, I get my paycheck, I leave at five. They don't want to do the advocacy that it takes. They won't go to the government. They won't go see a senator. They won't go see a representative. They won't take time to pick up the phone to talk to a mother that's looking, where can I go for my child? Um, I took a little vacation for the first time in a year and a half last week. And one of my sources, he calls me up and I'll pick up home. And, you know, my Bev looks at me and she goes, uh-oh, he's picking up his phone on vacation. And I say, Cram, what can I do for you, buddy? He says, well, lady at work for us has got a friend of hers whose ch- grandchild has epilepsy and needs some help. You talk to him? I said, yeah, give her my phone number. And give me her phone number. I'll call her right now. So I pull the car over and I call her up. Take the time. You know, I don't care where you are. Take the time to touch somebody's life. And I think that's all my legacy needs to be is maybe I touch somebody and help them, even if it's one. I mean, we serve thousands and thousands of patients, but my feeling is if it's just one, I've done something. I've done something. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I think that um, you've touched lots and I, I think that there's um, there's many lives you've saved. Um, I know that... Um, um, that you've definitely impacted stuff that's happening up here in Vancouver um, because you've impacted my leadership and the choices I'm making uh, in in growing uh, epilepsy awareness up here. So it's the ripple effect and it's, um, it starts with you. And so I can say that firsthand. Um, and I, I um, you're my epilepsy friend forever. Uh, and, thank uh, you, you are too, dear. And, now COVID's getting away and can travel. I'm going to be up to beautiful Vancouver before you know it. Is there anything else you'd like to, to say before we sign off? Kim, you know, what I want to say is thank you so much for reaching out to me. It's my pleasure to do this, and, and you're doing such a great job. Um, having an ability to just do a little collaboration like this is going to reach somebody somewhere, and that's what's important. That's what's important. If, you know, if one person picks something up from this, and says epilepsy starts with you because there's another you out there you can do it you can do it thanks for tuning in to the voice epilepsy podcast make sure to follow us on all of our bces and i'm a voice for epilepsy awareness social media platforms in closing remember you matter and you are not alone make thursdays our epilepsy date night with epilepsy voice podcasts